0: to the rent to retirement podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at rent to to find your path to financial freedom and an easy carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Sounds good.
1: All right. Hey, Rent to Retires. It's Adam Schrader here, and we are joined once again by Zach Lemaster, CEO of Rent to
0: Retirement. How you doing, Zach? Doing good, Adam. I think we have some good news to present today, and uh, you know, actually talk about the positive. Sometimes we like to critique the, uh, you know, the the negative out there and in, in the media that we see so constant, because that's what media feeds off of. But uh, <laughs> it's always good to just bring us back around to look at the positive news that know, really where is a market in this country headed for the real estate industry? Yeah,
1: we, we realized, uh, Zach commented to me, he said, Adam, you always have negative news. And I said, well, I like to put a positive slant on the negative news. But then I realized, oh, well, yeah, but people may only see the headlines if they're scrolling through. And I don't want to look that way because if people know me, they know that I'm really an optimist. I'm very positive in my life. So I wanted to bring some of the news that uh, you know people would actually enjoy. So the first thing I saw was We talk about how, you know, homes are being built all over the country. Some people are concerned, some people aren't, but I wanted to go to the horse's mouth and the horse's mouth are the home builders. And I saw this article that home builder sentiment bounces back despite ongoing supply chains, which is fantastic news to hear because no matter what you, Zach, think or what I think, it really boils down to do the people who are going to build these homes feel good about what they're
0: doing, right? yeah I think that uh i mean there's there's obstacles there's things to consider with the supply chain everyone's been very concerned uh, you know what what does this actually mean and basically it means that potentially materials are going to cost more uh, and there's gonna be delays you know but everyone is still progressing forward there's still obviously a huge housing demand and the market actually if anything I think this is causing there to be more demand, which is increasing you know, the uh, the appreciation and, and the resale values, allowing rents to go go up in, in multiple markets. So, I mean, there there's good and bad with everything. We always look at the <laughs> silver lining, but we also look at what do we actually apply. So, uh, what this means to anyone is there's still the, the housing demand is actually increased probably because of this. Good thing, housing or house builds are delayed. Right. And there's probably going to be cost increases incrementally over time that should encourage everyone that's thinking about this to probably act now and just be patient. You know, we were looking at an eight to 10 month uh, build time initially with a lot of the new construction. Now we're closer to that 10 to 12 month and there's multiple delays. So just understand that, I think. But overall, not a huge impact right on the housing uh, space. Yeah, and
1: not only that, but you know, the builder confidence rose four points to eighty in October on the National Association of Home Builders, Wells Fargo Housing Market Index. And it wasn't just any one particular area. I mean, if you looked at the what they were saying, it showed that it was rising in the Midwest. It stayed the same in the Northeast, and the South and the West were, you know, pretty much on par with where they've been at eighty to eighty-three. So I mean these people are very positive. And one of the things that the supply chain did was it made some home builders scale back what they were doing because they were concerned about getting stuck with you know, properties where they didn't know what their costs were going to be going in. So I believe I saw an article by uh, John Burns's demographic group where they said it was something like two thirds of builders around the country admitted to holding back inventory. And as they start to feel more and more confident, we will see them, you know, start opening it up. And I mean, like you said, right now, we're at 10 to 12 months, if they get really confident, we might start seeing an even longer build time as they open it up and start taking contracts for farther and farther into the future. But it's really good for me. And it makes me feel good commodity wise, and supply chain wise that they're seeing what's going on out there and thinking, okay, this is going to be clearing up soon because if not, they would not have nearly the confidence that they have right now.
0: We've already seen prices stabilize and, you know, wood and lumber was, was the big one over the past year. Right. I mean, we've already seen uh, prices start to, to normalize and things like this, which is a good sign. And I think we're, who knows? But I think we're kind of on the you know tail end of things. And, and hopefully it's all about having a plan. Right. And, and knowing how yeah. to address each issue. I mean, this goes supply chain or, or whatever. It's, it's about how do you adapt to the evolving market? There's always going to be something that you need to consider. So a perfect example with this is when there was supply chain issues. I mean, one proactive step we took is I mean, we took some of the lots that we own and just. Pre-bought a lot of things like windows, trusses, lumber. Just, I mean, there's there's a lot of materials that are just filling up lots right now that are pre-ordered and pre-bought. So that's going to allow us to capitalize um, on you know building to an efficient timeline. Also, you know, meeting the demand without having to be fluctuate with the the prices. Um, that we're now seeing and have a little bit more stability and control over that. So I think it's, it's, it's important to note many builders could be scaling back because they don't have a plan or they're they're nervous or whatever the case is. This is obviously still an excellent market where you know people are coming in with immense amount of equity and appreciation. There's a high rental demand. We want to be on the forefront of building to supply that demand that someone's going to do. You just have to have the right you know plan in place to do that. So I think that's it's all about you know plan and mindset.
1: Yeah. And as you're going about with your, with the build time that we talked about with the, you know, 10 or so months, it also gives you the opportunity if you've got the cash lying around, that it's a perfect time to start building your portfolio on two avenues. And that's, you know, you go under contract maybe for a property that's new construction, you know, I've got 10 months, but then to get yourself started and to build up your portfolio, you just buy a turnkey rehab as well that'll close in two to three months. And then you'll get more cash flow from from that leading up to the purchase of your next one. And they can look at your portfolio and say, okay, this landlord's doing really well. They're doing, you know, their portfolio is doing well. So I feel even more comfortable giving them a loan now than I did, you know, before they had that rental property. So it's giving you kind of, you can go under contract on two, but really only buy one at the time.
0: Yeah, I, I love that, that you just mentioned that. That's a great point because, I mean, we... We feel very confident and always advise our clients to build a diversified portfolio in multiple markets. That's how you build a sustainable business model. With anything investing, you never want all your eggs in one basket, right? Diversification kind of, uh, you know, diversification with a strategy and plan specifically um, is, I think, the the best way to mitigate your exposure and risk to any one individual market. While Florida might be some of the best opportunity where you come into immediate equity and still have the new construction you have to wait for it. I mean, it could be a year out where you're not receiving income, you're making interest payments and it's going to be an excellent product once it's completed. but most people are not putting all of their capital and you know all their investing into Florida some people are and that's their strategy but I think that's a great point Adam is that simultaneously while this is being built, we can look at other markets to invest and still build, a presence in these other areas to have a diversified portfolio, where you are receiving cash flow income to then support and make those interest payments on the build that's being completed. You know, just because over a time period, a lot of people look at the new builds versus regular turnkey, and they they think that uh, I mean the, the appeal to the new builds is you know brand new build, A class area. A strong tenant demographics with high rental demand. it's still cash flows decent for new construction, which is hard to do. But you're coming into significant inequity, but it takes a year to get there. If, if you just look at a traditional turnkey property, you know you're still going to over a course of one year, you know even call it five percent appreciation. You know, let's look at the loan pay down from the tenant. Let's look at the cash flow income that you would have received during that entire year, plus the tax benefits and depreciation. Not even going into mitigating, you know, the percentage for inflation over that that period of time i mean you're still looking at you know 20 to possibly thirty thousand dollars of equity with all those things combined during that period of time so while you don't have that immediate you know coming out of the gates with the new construction you are still building equity and it's important to you know get into that's why time is on your side time can either be your your biggest advocator and your your biggest friend or your biggest enemy in real estate depending if you take action the sooner you get started over time, all that compounds. I always tell people that in real estate investing is a exponential graph of progressions, not a linear graph, because all these things combined with appreciation, debt pay down, cash flow, you know, all the equity that you're building up, the tax benefits and depreci- depreciation, those combined per year that you own the house and each door that you own. So, it's the simple fact of getting started sooner. And I think to your point, that's, that's a great way to go about it is diversifying right out of the gates with maybe some new construction as well as some turnkey properties.
1: Yeah, I like to tell people whenever it comes to diversifying in real estate, you've got a whole wide spectrum just in single family. I mean, you can get a diversity in tenant demographics between your $100,000 house and your $300,000 house. When you diversify across markets, you're diversifying in economies, too. I mean, you know, you might be in one place where it's all about transportation, another place where it's government jobs, another place where, you know, you've got your more blue collar or your more white collar workers there. And so really, if you look at kind of the recessions that happen in the U.S. whenever it gets hit, it's very rarely just across the board. Everybody gets wiped out. It's usually certain segments get wiped out. So when you diversify yourself around price points and tenant demographics and all of that, you know, maybe you have one section get hit really hard of your portfolio and suddenly you have two or three vacancies there because it's harder to find tenants at the time and they move down out of your price range. Well, your other markets that were diversified into different demographics don't have that problem and they're able to prop up your problem areas whenever you have trouble. So, I mean, you hear about recessions and you hear about other things that happen in the country, but you need to remember, it doesn't hit every single person the same. So you need to make sure you're not just serving one type of
0: person. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when we, th- cause we get this question all the time, right? Re- are we experiencing a housing bubble? Where are we at? When, is- when's the next crash? You know, everyone <laughs> wants to assume like, you know, that and quite possibly, you know, there could be some corrections in prices, but everyone seems to, associate a real estate crash with 2008. That's a very isolated type of situation based on the lending that was going on at that time, you know, with no doc loans and, you know, really no verification for for lending and people not investing for cash flow. You're basically banking on appreciation at that point. I mean, we can go on and on, but that is just one isolated point in history. Today is completely different. If you look at the fast past five recessions that we've had, only two have actually had a dramatic impact on the real estate market. Independently from that, I mean, it's, it's about what are you doing in your portfolio now to mitigate your exposure to, to a potential recession? I agree with you 100% that, you know, if there's going to be a correction, it's not going to be nationwide. They affect all markets the same, even in 2008, which was a nationwide type of housing correction, each individual market was affected differently. Obviously, the higher price points, there's going to be less people able to afford those, possibly over-leveraged. Those are going to be the first that are going to have the dramatic or the houses that have the most exposure to correction. When you're investing for fundamentals where you're in a market that tends to be a little bit more stable and its economics price points are more reasonable and it still has positive cash flow. That's what it comes down to, right, is mitigating your exposure to potential change in value by having a positively cash flowing property. The price and the market value of the property is only relevant when you sell the property. Other than that, it doesn't matter unless you're trying to refi it and pull money out. All housing prices go up over time, regardless of short-term fluctuations. The people that got hurt and the people that are at the highest risk are the ones flipping, the ones that are highly leveraged and the, their plan, they have to exit that property within a short period of time. So I think this is a perfect time Go back and look at the fundamentals of what we set our investors up for success with and what we personally do. You invest in markets, yes, where you have strong appreciation, you have a diversity of industries and economy, but you're also, you know, you have positive cash flow. When less people are able to afford a house and the housing market is less stable, more people rent. That drives rental prices up, that increases our rental demand. And that's when you're in middle-class housing, below the median home price, which we are in most all markets, even in Florida with new construction, we're below the median house price. That is how you set yourself up to be a successful investor, to ride through a um, you know any sort of market correction, even though it's unlikely we're going to have something that will affect the markets that we're in dramatically.
1: Yeah. And if you look at the cash flow on these properties, I mean, even if if you buy right and you're getting, let's just say even on the low end, you're getting $200 a month cash flow, if you don't think that you can get a tenant in your property for $200 less than you're getting now, you know, that's, I, I, I just don't agree with you for the most part. I mean, if you've got a $1,300 rent and you think I could drop my rent all the way down to $1,100 before I'm at break even and not doing anything. I mean, that's a 16% drop in rent. I mean, that's just, that doesn't happen. I mean, if you look historically, yeah. it doesn't happen.
0: We don't see we don't see drops in rents, right? We don't yeah. see fluctuations unless you're renting out a luxury, you know, three thousand plus dollar a month, uh, you know, luxury house, or you're in the vacation space. You know, obviously those are more volatile. But I mean, the simple fact is, you look at the the r- typical rental demand, and you also compare that to government assisted housing. That's not going away. There's a huge demand. If anything, we're increasing the we're seeing increases in the the amount. Both, both dollar amount of rents and also the amount of vouchers being handed out basically nationwide for government assisted housing in your section eight that should give you very good confidence if you're at that number below you're going to have extreme rental demand so i, I yeah we're, we're not seeing rents go down we don't ever anticipate that i have not seen that in any of the markets we operate in
1: yeah. So I want to get into another a bank rate article I found. It talks about the fourth quarter of this year will feel a little more normal than the past 18 months and that experts predict the re- the regular seasonal slowdown to take place. That may give the market a little time to breathe after a particularly intense period, but many constraints, especially on affordability, will remain in place. Even as it tails off slightly, demand for homes will remain high and the fourth quarter of this year should set things up for another busy market in 2022. And this is just good news for us because you look at it and you've seen the appreciation that's been happening pretty much across the country. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, is it going to just tail off? Is it going to become, you know, 2% next year? Am I too late? I mean, I was answering this on a YouTube comment just the other day. Somebody said, you know, the the Cape Coral builds that we have going on. Am I too late? Is the equity going to be gone by the time I get there? And you just look at it and you say, just look at all everything that's going on just nationwide and specifically in that market, it's still a time, all of the demographics, all of the fundamentals are still there and pushing it forward. So yeah, maybe you're going to miss the 20% appreciation that happened this year, but next year is still lining up to be, you know, what, eight, 9% probably at, at a minimum based on what I've seen, you know, it's still, everything is still pushing in the upward direction so good news.
0: <laughs> our uh, Yeah, I mean, it is. And, and obviously that's kind of what we're seeing. And, and we're expecting, I mean, we're expecting no slowdown, right? All of our projections internally in the markets that we're in, especially when we're talking about new construction in an area that is starting to have increasing demand for housing and having more people move than we've seen ever before, even over this past 12 months. That only goes to show that we're probably going to have stronger appreciation uh, especially if if that means that builds are taking longer with supply chain issues that's simple supply and demand and that's going to with increased demand and less supply, that's likely going to increase those home values. So we fully anticipate over the next year that we'll have a even larger increase in appreciation in equity and in rent amounts than we're seeing right now. I mean, just to look back, you know over the past twelve months, hindsight here, we're, building these things at probably twenty to $30,000 less. A big part of that was land. Land tripled in value over the past year from about a $10,000 lot to $30,000 lot of what we're seeing right now. So that's a big part of it. And a little bit of material increases. Uh, again, fortunately, we have a plan in place to keep building generally about the same. Um, you know, But we were projecting rents at, for a 4-2, 1,600 square foot in Cape Coral, projecting rents at 1,800 to 1,850. Well, now that the houses are being built, the actual rental market today is twenty one to twenty one or twenty one to twenty two hundred dollars a month. So there's we're way overperforming <laughs> and underprojected. <laughs> yeah. In addition to that, house prices we're seeing appraised in the mid three hundreds right now. Previously, we thought three ten was a good appraisal when we, you know, a year ago going into we knew there was some equity, but we have some guys that are high three hundreds. We've even seen some at. Um, Some of those lots at 400,000 is crazy. And so next year, I think that we're going to continue to see this trend uh, because nothing is pointing towards the population slowing down or the housing demand lightening up. Yeah.
1: And so speaking of rental rates, this is uh, some good news. I ran across a company named Dwellzee does uh, data analytics on things. And according to Jer- Jonas Bordeaux, the CEO and co-founder of Dwellsy, data shows that single family rental prices are up by 15% year over year. And that is nationwide. In other markets, you know, like Zach was just saying, you know, 1,800 to 2,200 is what, about a 25% increase or so? So, I mean, you're looking at uh, nationwide rentals are doing fantastic. I know from personal experience, you know, 15%, I didn't do any rental increases that low this year. I mean, they were more in the 20 to 25% ranges in the the markets that I'm in. So nationwide rentals are just skyrocketing and you look at why. I mean, the why is simple. The people who want to buy homes at the moment are having trouble finding homes. So when your tenant is there, I mean, this is a perfect example. I have a property in Memphis that I was renting for 850. And my tenant gave me notice and said, I'm moving out at the end of my lease, I'm buying a home. So the property manager and I were working on kind of the, well, what are we gonna do whenever they move out? What fixes are gonna need to be done? Well, about 40 days before they were supposed to move out, they sent us a notice saying, hey, I couldn't buy a house. I need to renew. And so we came back and said, okay, well, the renewal rate's going to be 1050 instead of 850. And they signed it because they didn't want to move. And they knew that if they looked somewhere else, they weren't going to find a property as good at that price. And so when people can't find homes to buy, like we've been talking about, they have to rent and nationwide, it's really pushing the rents up. I mean, if you look at this next chart I have here, it shows, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you can read that, but it shows the, uh. What's going on with studio apartments? Because apartments are easier to find information on, but studio apartments, one bed and two beds range anywhere from 11 to 14% nationwide in rent growth. So, I mean, it's just, it's fantastic to be a landlord right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I think the interesting thing is that, I mean, this is a seller's market, right? This is, and it, it's interesting to see kind of what that, co- what how that changes inventory. It's hard to find inventory right now especially for someone just coming into this space, it, you know, talking to them and saying, well, I'm going to go find a, a burr property, an undervalued property. I mean, I I want to encourage them, but uh, to do, you know, what, what they'd like, but I also want them to be realistic. And it's kind of like good luck, you know, <laughs> because people are overpaying with cash, like, in, you know, big scale investors. How do you even compete with that? How do you find undervalued property? You got to have We bring something to the table that is very unique that no one else has thought of or done. And we're seeing that, right? Because we are in the area where we have high visibility on all sorts of undervalued properties or dilapidated houses, foreclosure, auction, whatever the case is, and it's difficult to find the inventory right now. So it's a seller's market and people like you, to your point, Adam, I mean, people are having a hard time finding properties just to live in, let alone rent, to, you know, especially in some of the markets that we focus on. Uh, the 15% rental increase, I just want to make it clear that that's a real number that we're seeing and most of the markets we're in adhere to that or better. That is not how we're running our pro formas, right? Is we're running, I think, an average, everyone wants to be conservative. I get that. Some people have irrational numbers that are overly conservative that you know they, they bring up. You gotta be realistic, but I understand. You wanna be conservative. We all do, worst case scenario. I mean, on our pro formas that we're running for rental increases year over year, I think we're at three or 4%, which we've, I mean, we've never had that slow of a rental increase in most of these areas, at least not over the past 10 years. And so if you look at what a 15% um, increase in rents do, that's actually not equivalent to a 15% additional return on investment. That's significantly higher because when you're running your cash on cash return, you're taking a rent, say a $1,000 rent. And you're deducting all of the expenses and the mortgage expense. So, you know, that stuff is, those things are constant, right? Your your mortgage, it's constant. Your insurance, your taxes, maybe slightly going up year over year, not by 15%. So, I mean, those are usually constant. But when you add a rental increase, um, 15%, now that $1,000 is $1,150, right? And that's an additional $150 per month. That is, complete um income there's no deduction for because we've already counted for all the expenses so without running the math i don't know exactly where that would land but you're probably at you know that 30 to 40 percent return just from the rental increase over time the interview we did with aaron chapman who talked about mitigation for inflation and how to actually calculate rental increases over time that would be a good good um Segment to go back for someone to view to kind of learn how to calculate that. So, I mean, this is just another cool thing, how real estate creatively can continue to exponentially increase your income and net worth over time. You got to own it, though. You got to buy the property. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And for those of you who are wondering when that was, that was from early September. And with uh, Aaron Chapman and Zach, you mentioning that I I was pulling up, there was an article I read this morning while I was uh, getting my car fixed, talking about finding those Burr properties. And they were talking about how zombie zombie homes, these are homes that are going to be foreclosed on and are also vacant, are on the decline. And they said nationwide, One out of every 13,292 homes are vacant and in foreclosure. And there are a grand total of, (laughs) in Ohio, there are 925 total properties that are zombie properties. And in Florida, there's a grand total of 907 homes that are zombie homes. So, like you were saying, good
0: luck finding them. Seriously, good luck finding them. I mean, we look at 900 properties over a course of a week. Right. Yep. I mean, that's just crazy to me. It's, it's, it's challenging. I mean, not to discourage anyone if yeah. if that's what they want to do. You can always be creative and unique to f- build value. Um, but the simple fact goes back to if you're waiting to try to do something like that, the simple fact of owning real estate and letting it just even if you're buying at market value, which is pretty much the expectation in today's market. Um, unless you're being creative with like new construction or something like just let real estate do what it does over time. You're gonna build significant equity through appreciation, debt pay down, rental increases over time, your tax benefits, depreciation, all that stuff adds up over time, but you gotta own it and let real estate do what it does. That's why turnkey is a great option for a lot of people that, you know, want to scale quicker than they would on their own, or potentially looking for a team to assist them to get started and just Get this off because get this started the sooner you own the property, the quicker you start to grow those additional streams of income and net worth,
1: yeah, and just the just don't forget to factor in your time whenever you talk about finding these properties to to burn. honestly, you might be able to buy a turnkey while you're searching for your burr property because it may take you that many months just to just to find it, so I want to continue on a little bit more with the rental increase as we get close to wrapping it up here. And that is this article that I found um, It's talking about, with rents continuing to surge to new highs nationwide, including in big tech hubs, September data confirms the US rental market has moved past the recovery phase and is fully back in business. Rental demand remains unseasonably high, driven by still limited housing supply, rising mortgage rates, pushing buyers towards renting and more people returning to big cities, said George Wright, manager of economic research for realtor.com. So that's just kind of in in addition to what we've been talking about. Zach, you say I can't find good news. Well, (laughs) I found good news. I'm bringing it to the people. I mean, it's, it's just, I don't, people can tell it whenever I, I talk to them and People sometimes think it's too optimistic, but if you really look at what's going on in the world and what's going on in this market, I mean, there's just nothing pointing towards a slowdown in the near future. And if you're worried about a slowdown in five years from now, that's something you can worry about in four or four and a half years. Then you evaluate your strategy and see, you know, if this is coming up, do I need to deal with it? But right now, if you think about what you're going to be giving up in the next three, four, five years, just because you're worried about a potential downturn of 10 or 20% even, let's just say you're concerned. Well, guess what's going to happen based on everything we're looking at today? If there's a minimum of, let's just say 10% appreciation, after one year, you're at 110%, then 121, and then you're at 133. Well, if there's a 20% correction right now, guess what? You're down to 107 that's still above where you started. And like you were saying, it, you don't feel that unless you're trying to sell or do a cash out refi. And in yeah, those situations, you're not forced to if you're buying it for at, at a good place to begin with in a positive cash flow environment.
0: Yeah, that, that's a mindset of like a stock trader or someone that's buying and selling Bitcoin. That's that's not really the mindset of a real estate investor. You know, you're you invest for the fundamentals and regardless of market pricing. I mean, this is a long-term game, right? I'll be, you want to look at where your properties are at and pay attention and you got to keep your money dynamic. So eventually you may, there may be a time that makes sense to sell your property, but you're not forced to, right? That's not your, your plan. Actually, that's just one exit strategy. One option is to, if you have enough equity sell in 1031 into more, you know, but the real estate investor mindset is someone that sees all the added benefits of, real estate ownership over time. This is a lifelong journey, you know, where people can build exponential wealth that they can create legacies with and pass on to children and have a tax strategy where that's our biggest expense for all of us is taxes, right? So once you get to the point where you can be a real estate professional and do cost segregation studies and, you know, all the write-offs and additional passive income that you receive, I mean, you're, that's the right way to play the game and you just got to think about it, right? I mean, if you're, if you're hesitant because you're thinking about, waiting for, for the market. I mean, we kind of took this tangent on the on the market, but I would encourage you to just forget about it. You know, I don't look at the news, Adam. I get my news from you. So <laughs> good or bad, it's like, all right. But I, you know, the point is I kind of ignore it. It doesn't matter to me. I know what works. I know what works for us and it's worked for us for many, many years and you follow the same process. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. It takes a little bit of education and it takes a little bit of initiative and motivation just to get started. So, I mean, buying a property that has positive cash flow and a good market that's below the median house price and rents in that B-class area, I mean, you really just can't go wrong with them, you know. So um, that's my two cents on the news. (laughs) <laughs> well,
1: I appreciate it, Zach. Thanks for coming on and joining us today. To everybody else, go check us out at renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. You can see our inventory. You can sign up for an, a call with our investment strategists free of charge. We also can help you build up your team if you're looking for it, like Zach was saying, if you're looking for somebody to help you with your taxes or with your insurance or anything like that, we can help you build your team. That's what the whole point of the network being here is, is to save you time, and to make you the best investor you can be in the shortest amount of time. So head on over to renttoretirement.com. You can also check us out, our YouTube channel that's uh, blowing up in terms of people are watching more and more. And so we love giving out that information there. You can find us at youtube.com slash renttoretirement and we'll see you on the next episode.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rent to Retirement podcast, your number one resource for wealth building, real estate investing and stress-free retirement strategies. Continue your real estate education and invest with us at Rent renttoretirement.com.